0: was uh, Yasmin Hamdan and a track called Beirut, probably an appropriate track to welcome somebody who does come from Beirut, Lebanon. Uh, Dr. Ava is in the studio. I hope we fixed the audio problem here. Ava, can you try to say hello?
1: Hello, marhaba.
0: Ah, there's that beautiful voice. <laughs> uh, uh, welcome to Arabology and to KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. I'm not quite sure how to welcome you, Ava, today because uh, as most people who, who've heard this show before, I'm always raving that the Habanis speak three languages. Is that the case with you?
1: Right. So, hi, Kifak Sava Ramzi?
0: Sava très bien, Eva. Wente <laughs> Kifik. Uh, <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, th- th- those of you who don't recognize uh, that accent, that is certainly a very Lebanese accent, <laughs> often called a very sophisticated accent, if I might be biased. And that sort of represents my amazing guest today, uh, known for her graciousness, her intellect, her kindness, and I have to say, her beauty. Dr. Eva is uh, a lecturer at Stanford in Arabic, a Full-time lecturer who recently joined the African and Middle Eastern Department, which is part of the Stanford Language Center. Ava, it's been a it's been a new year for you in in many ways, and not the least of which is coming to Stanford. How has your first year at Stanford been?
1: My first year has been great so far. I have nothing but good things to say about uh, the institution itself. Um, the team that I work with at the Arabic Department mm-hmm. and African Middle Eastern Studies um, st- students, uh, the atmosphere, all of it—it's right. been great, and I'm thankful every day.
0: Wow. And I'm sure that your se- uh, students are thankful to you <laughs> because you are attempting to teach a very difficult language, and that's Arabic. To, uh, what classes have you been uh, teaching this quarter, Eva?
1: Um, I teach uh, four different levels of conversation. Wow, and uh, one of them uh, is colloquial Arabic, so uh, the spoken Arabic of the um, the area of the Middle East that we call the Levant. Nice. So that would be the um, Lebanese, uh, Syrian, Palestinian, and Jordanian dialect. Wow. I also uh, teach first year for uh, reading and writing. Wow. And it's been great.
0: <laughs> so how, how do you feel about our students here at Stanford? Did they live up to your expectations uh, thus far, without mentioning any names, of course?
1: Absolutely. They have been wonderful. Everything that I have expected and even more, which is uh, challenging and nice in a way, because we always have to wear you know, our best hat to mm-hmm. uh, uh, give our students, uh, offer them the best that we can offer. And... Um, it's, uh, it's a great experience mm-hmm. to be able to um, serve such an institution and students of this caliber.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. As you know, Ava, I've been teaching uh, myself here for, uh, well, uh, let's just say a little over a decade, and I uh, completely agree with you. You seem to have made that assessment in your first year, and I hope uh, that you will continue to feel both uh, challenged and uh, and sort of uh, privileged to, to be here. We do have these amazing students, but uh, the question I always get, Ava, and I thought maybe you could shed a little bit of light on this, is, you know, the challenges of trying trying to teach um, Arabic to uh, students who, you know, have had no exposure. We're not t- really talking about heritage students here, but students, you know, the average student has had no exposure. And, uh, well, well I, my question is twofold. One is how ready are they to accept classical Arabic? And the second part, of course, is how do you get around uh, the colloquial aspect? I mean, the kind of Arabic you and I spoke, Ava at the beginning of this interview uh, was colloquial. We immediately went to colloquial, and yet, uh, the kind of Arabic we teach here is Modern Standard Arabic. Uh, I hear you're kind of an expert on the matter or that you have thoughts, and I would appreciate it if you would share them with our listeners.
1: Right. Um, First of all, uh, students are divided in two, um, if I may say, um, sometimes three. So you have your um, native speakers, and uh, those come ready, um, they know all the aspects mm-hmm. of any language. Right. And then you have the heritage speaker right. who have been exposed to the language, but uh only in, in speaking, mm-hmm. who do not know how to read and write. And we also have the... um uh, language learners, first-time learners, who have never been exposed to the language. Right. Uh, one would think that um, heritage speakers are at an advantage, but after um, 10 or 11 years of experience teaching uh, Arabic, I have come to find that motivation is key, Ramzi. Wow. So whether a student has been exposed to a language or not, um, it's motivation uh, that will uh, make him or her excel, Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other challenge uh, is, uh, for example, here at Stanford, is to to continue learning a certain language. right Because for uh, graduation purpose, graduation requirement, a student has to take one year of a foreign language. Mm-hmm. So when a student continues, that means that he is really in love with the language, in love with the Arabic culture, and really wants to embrace um, everything that this language and culture has to offer. I see. Uh, now, uh, how much are they ready to accept, to answer your question, Ramzi, to accept um, learning MSA? Right. Right.
0: Which is, uh, uh, of course, for our listeners, modern standard Arabic.
1: Right, modern standard Arabic. Um, we we prepare them from day one about the uh, the diglossic um, uh, uh, point of view or aspect of the Arabic language. We let them know that uh, learning the formal Arabic is the way we all learned it. You mm. and I in, in Lebanon and all of us Absolutely. had to learn um um, this way uh, of, of the, this aspect of the language, and then we uh, let them know that once they have uh, finished two years or acquired. Uh, intermediate proficiency, or a kind of high in intermediate proficiency in Arabic, then uh, they will be ready to be moved to the next uh, level and be exposed to one of the five main uh, dialects that the Arabic language has to offer, or to choose one of the sub-dialects. I see. Um, and so, um, yes, with a good foundation, with a good solid foundation... Uh, of the um, modern standard Arabic or what we call fusha Um, then our students are ready to move to uh, the next level, so we avoid any confusion between spoken Arabic and uh, formal Arabic. I see. Yeah, it's been great so far.
0: Yeah, because I think this is, uh, and and if I'm not mistaken, this was part of your doctoral uh, dissertation, was, you know, talking about this, and uh, there seems to me to be two um, kind of schools, you know, one that says we should teach both classical and uh, colloquial Arabic Mm -hmm. at the same time from day one Mm -hmm. another school that says that no we should begin with the modern standard Arabic the one that's understood all over the Arabic speaking world so at Mm -hmm. least these students no matter where they're going can can communicate in in MSA and then introduce the appropriate dialect or the dialect they choose at a later point Mm -hmm. Uh, do you subscribe to either of these uh, points of view or are you somewhere in the middle
1: you're right. I'm somewhere in the middle. So the first uh, theory is right, and the second one is not wrong, in my opinion. Um, y- you know, instead of instead of considering Arabic as a diglossic language and dividing it into mm-hmm. languages, which one should I learn, the Fusha or the Amiya? I I think we should consider more uh, the Arabic language as a continuum versus Mm. a diglossic language, and that um, and talk about code switching. So, an educated Arabic person will constantly be switching in. Uh, his speech between uh, formal and informal Arabic and and use them according to the situation and use them in context. Mm, Good point. So the best thing would be to prepare our students when they are going to immerse themselves in the uh, Arabic speaking world to be uh, ready to use Either one of those codes, and be able to do the code switching between um, uh, those two—the um, fusha and the hamia—depending on the situation that they are exposed to.
0: I see. I see. And so, you know, on a more simplistic level, then, do you think it's it, it, it's? Uh, Impossible to kind of pick up modern standard Arabic if you started with a colloquial, or is it easier to pick up colloquial if you started with MSA?
1: Okay, I think um, after uh, you know the, the results of my study uh, that I finished last year uh-huh. um, were that a good solid foundation of two years of modern standard Arabic or fusha are better, mm-hmm. and then starting colloquial or spoken Arabic. But um, you and I started learning the colloquial at home, right? And then we were exposed to Fusha, and we're doing okay. <laughs> so, um, but I think that for a, um, a foreign student learning uh, Arabic, because they, they do not use it every day right. in their everyday life and their only exposure is uh, often those few hours that we spend today uh, every day in class um i i believe that the um formal theory first right uh is more
0: applicable is more applicable yes. and uh, and I think we we need to emphasize out there to everybody who's listening uh, that you know the modern standard arabic the one that Ava and I are talking about is actually the written language it's the language of newspapers of the news on tv it's uh, it's you know the formal language for speeches and such and I think and, and it's of course for of books and literature uh, so that if you only learn colloquial at first you you certainly don't have access to you you know, uh, media, for example. Um, uh, Although, I don't know, Ava, have you been hearing about this new wave of of, uh, uh, media coming from the Arabic-speaking world and specifically from Lebanon, where they're talking about uh, diffusing the news, for example, in colloquial Lebanese uh, accent instead of, you know, in fusha, Mm -hmm. the classical Arabic? You've heard of this.
1: I've heard of it. It it, it is not a bad idea, but you would only be targeting a certain audience, Mm -hmm. the audience who uh, understands uh, the Lebanese uh, dialect, and that would be, you know, people of the Levant, mm-hmm. uh, and, and a few uh, other countries. But um, I think that the common denominator among uh, all 23 Arabic-speaking countries is the fusha, or the formal language. So whenever uh, we have to communicate um, any formal news, um I, s- I still believe in doing it in, in FOSHA to make it accessible to all uh, our uh, Arabic-speaking people. Absolutely.
0: Eva, it's, uh, speaking with you, it's uh, it's a truly, truly remarkable experience because uh, just the way you speak English and your command of the language and, 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 and the topic, uh, just it, it, it really, I forget that this is not your first language, nor perhaps your second. It's almost, you know, you grew up speaking French and Arabic as well as English. <laughs> uh, do you find that uh, you know you're still sort of uh, uh, torn between French and English or, or how, how, what's the order of languages in terms of comfort for you
1: um, it depends on the situation Ramsey um, I've been here uh, long enough you know to feel uh, comfortable and at ease with the English language and I think each one of the three languages that I know um, is nice in its own way depending mm. on the situation uh, English is a beautiful language, and um, I'm lucky to be able to uh, <laughs> practice it.
0: Yeah, because perhaps we should just dub, and I don't want to keep you too long, Ava. But uh, but maybe just give us a little bit about uh, of background. Uh, you are uh, Lebanese American, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe you could tell us our listeners a little bit about you know your uh, your growing up. Uh, you, uh, you grew up in Lebanon a little bit, mm-hmm. you know about your uh, experience there when you came to America, and of course how you arrived to Stanford.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born in Beirut, Lebanon, and um, born and raised uh, speaking Arabic. And uh, French came naturally because uh, I attended uh, French schools. Mm -hmm. Lebanon was under French mandate uh, for a long time before it got its uh, independence from France. And so those of us who went to French schools uh, automatically learned uh, French and it became our, uh, you know, we can call it second language but it's almost uh, I mean we use them interchangeably right and so and uh, so my uh, bachelor's degree is in Arabic journalism wow. uh, from Lebanon and wow. then I moved to the United States, uh, uh, in my 20s and got my master's in French literature.
0: Oh, wow. I did not know this, Eva. this is <laughs> you've, you've been hiding uh, quite a few <laughs> gems there. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't actually in French then, in French literature. In French. Wow. So
1: BA was in, uh, BA was in Arabic, master's was in French. And then after teaching French uh, in college at Sacramento State University, actually, wow. I decided to go for my uh, doctorate in educational leadership. And that one was in English. So talk about <laughs> talk about trilingual.
0: And talk about uh, the, yeah. the Lebanese, uh, you know, trilingual uh, greeting. Hi, yeah. the name of my previous show. Right. Uh, you sh- I certainly should have had you on that show, Ava. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but but but, uh, do you still find that you know Arabic is your go-to language in terms of I don't know? I guess the language you would think of, think in when you're you know pondering something or it's, when you're alone.
1: Yes, and it's. Also the language that I dream in, which would be you know, your preferred language. And, uh, uh, well, yes, I, I guess indeed. I
0: should ask this. Do you dream in Fusha or in Colloquial?
1: <laughs> in Lebanese. <laughs> in in Le- Lebanese. Ooh,
0: la la. Yeah. Well, then um, I, I'm not going to touch that one except to say that Lebanese <laughs> is a very romantic dialect to, to many, mm-hmm. so uh, we'll just leave it at that. Eva, speaking about the music and about uh, dreams and about uh, Arabic um, in general, I wanted to kind of uh, give you a chance maybe to share with our listeners uh, some of your favorite um, Um, Arabic uh, music or musicians that come from the Arabic-speaking world. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know you have a few, Mm -hmm. and I thought it might be nice for you to present maybe a women's point of view here. I'm always sort of talking about my favorites here, but it would be nice if you could uh, maybe make a few recommendations Mm -hmm. and tell our listeners about the kind of music that maybe you find appealing. Mm -hmm.
1: My favorite? Uh, singers um, I have three favorite ones Um, number one is Farouz in Lebanon
0: I knew that was going to come
1: (laughs) (laughs) and uh, so the three that I'm going to to mention are uh, all of them are icons there is um, a multitude of new talents um, Mm. in the Middle East that uh, you know We can't mention all of them today, but I'm just going to talk about those icons that everybody uh, knows and that are my favorite. So for Lebanon, it would be Mm Fayrouz. For Syria, it would be Sabah Fakhri. Wow. And for Egypt, it would be Um Kulthum.
0: Wow! So you've you've picked the uh, the uh, legends, I think, of oh, Arabic music here. Uh, you probably, like me, grew up listening to their songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what about uh, on a more you know recent scale? Were there some musicians uh, that you've recently discovered worthy of note uh, uh, today on the show?
1: Well, uh, Mike Massey. Um has been introduced to me by Nada, a dear friend of mine in Lebanon. Wow. He's uh, her music instructor.
0: Oh, so Nada is, your, is a, a, a female a, a name. Dear a, a, a dear mine. friend of mine. Okay, yes. so for our listeners, so Nada introduced you to Mike Massey. Mike Massey. Wow.
1: And his new album right now, and his new album is a huge success in Lebanon. He has composed uh, some of his own songs, and he had, uh, you know, um, renovated some of uh, um, Zeke Nassif's old songs.
0: Well, Zeki Nassif who, who of course is a legend in terms of uh, uh, Arabic music and Lebanese music in particular, mm-hmm. uh, composed for Fayrouz I believe, and other uh, icons. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so, so that's how you came. Uh, you stumbled onto Mike Massey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, what and did I you think? I Ava? think
1: Mike has a great future. His music is lovely, and I also would imagine his music um, played um, as uh music for movies right. as well
0: wow mm-hmm. wow exactly what I because he actually did write apparently the movie soundtrack to a film called the uh, tanura Maxi <laughs> uh, I've done I haven't seen the film but I did see his name in relation to that this is a very young musician and frankly Ava I wanted to say that you were the one who introduced me to to the music of Mike Massey and since then his album has been playing right here at kZSU Stanford mm-hmm. and uh, we have you to thank for that we have also Mike Massey himself to thank for the beautiful music he did. Um, but uh, does it bother you when uh, when new musicians and young musicians such as Mike Massey take old songs and sort of revamp them or re-record them uh, to make them uh, distinctly different from the originals?
1: Um, actually, no, not in this case, uh, because I think what Mike Massey did is uh make this specific song we were uh, going to talk about today right and give it give it um kind of like a new look if I may say yes and um nasif um, gave life to this song right but uh, many Mike, many
0: decades ago we should say. many
1: decades ago, but Mike Massey gave it this a beautiful touch this beautiful flavor this um, different uh you know um, melody mm-hmm. um, And I think he did A superb job
0: And we should tell our listeners of course That the song we're, we're talking about Is a song that Ava is going to dedicate At the end of her segment today And uh, the title Eva Ya Ashiqat Alwardi Is a little bit difficult to translate For our listeners How would you put it in English?
1: al mm. uh, Is infatuation So to Um I think Ashiqat al-Ward is a person who really likes roses, wow. or in love with, wow. infatuated with roses. Absolutely. And roses have a mm-hmm. lot of meaning in the um, Arabic language. Usually, you give them to people that you really care for.
0: And so the songs could be titled, uh, or could be translated as something like a love, a lover of roses, or someone who's infatuated with roses. Mm-hmm. With Are you such a person, Ava? Indeed, I have to indeed, ask. You indeed. Do, your favorite flower is the rose? My is
1: favorite is gardenia, but rose, uh, roses have a big special part in my heart
0: very special any favorite color Ava I, I, I know I'm, I'm prying white. here white, white white rose so we will pretend that Ashiqat al-Werdi is Ashiqat al-Werdi al white roses today and uh, and I know that you wanted to dedicate this song we're going to play the Mike Massey version of Ashiqat al-Werdi here as a dedication from Ava and also as a thank you for her to, for being here today on the show and bringing such an amazing wealth of knowledge and commentary not only on the Arabic language, but on music and uh, and other aspects of uh, Lebanese uh, society, as well as uh, being a proud Lebanese American, Ava, um, do you did you want to say anything about the song Al Al Wardi? And also, did you have any special dedication you would like to make on the Arabology show today?
1: Yes. First of all, I would like to thank Nada, uh, who introduced me to uh, Mike Massey. Mm-hmm. I would like to also dedicate it to Walid, who couldn't be with us today, but uh, who will oh, be yes. listening.
0: Yes, and, and I would like to add my uh, regards to Walid out there, who listens to the, to the show and uh, is, a, is a colleague and a friend. Uh, Walid, I hope you're listening. Uh, this uh, song partially goes out to you, apparently. And uh, who else?
1: And also to all those out there. Listeners out there who are عشاق الورد.
0: Wow, that's a really beautiful way to uh, to send out a dedication. Anybody out there who loves roses or who knows someone who loves roses should enjoy this track, Ava. Uh, uh, it has been a delight to welcome you into the studio. I know you've been listening to the show um, regularly. Mm-hmm. How did it feel to be in the studio?
1: I am a devoted listener. And uh, being in a studio has uh, its own charm. <laughs> I, feel, I feel honored. I thank you so much for inviting me, Ramsey. And I have been also encouraging our students to listen to your show um, because listening to Arabic music is part of the culture, and we all know that culture and language go hand in hand. So I'm, I'm blessed. I'm very happy. I thank you for having me. And, and
0: that's uh, it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Ava, the the pleasure was all mine. I hope you will always feel free to come back and uh, share your insights right here on the Arabology show. Thank and you. I have to tell you, between you and me, Ava, you uh, you seemed a little worried coming in about uh, speaking uh, spontaneously <laughs> on the air. You did beautifully. So I am going to say "shukran", shukran. and uh, "nawartil studio wujudek, ya Ava. You are truly an asset, uh, not only to our department at Stanford but to the community at large. I wish you uh, continuous good health and success and I know that uh, there is much in store for you here at Stanford, uh, Ava. So welcome. Shukran. And uh, here we go. We'll play Ya'ashikat uh, al Wardi, which will give us time to actually introduce my next guest. And that's none other than Sayana Shilton. Yes, she is here. Yes, she's been to Morocco. Yes, she has uh, wonderful stories to tell. And yes, she's a student of Arabic. So she'll be maybe echoing or perhaps uh, elaborating on some of the points that Ava brought up. Uh, so as we listen to Mike Massey, we'll be sort of switching from uh, Lebanon to North. North Africa, and uh, to my next guest, Ava, once again, shukran, merci, and thank you for being an amazing guest here on the Arabology Show.
1: Shukran, Yaramzi.
0: And here is Mike Massey, Ya Ashikha
2: And i
1: Stanford Community for Peace and Justice is a student group committed to the principles of diversity, civil liberties, human rights, and an end to war. If you would like to know more about the issues that the SCPJ is working on or to find out how you can get involved, please visit www.stanford.edu/group/peace that's www.stanford.edu/group slash peace.
0: It is a little bit after four forty-five PM right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM, and I've got around fifteen minutes left for the uh Arabology show for this week, and I am delighted, delighted and excited to introduce my next guest, who is none other than one of my Arabic students here at Stanford. I've got Sayana Chilton right here in the studio. Marhaba Sayan <laughs> How are you doing? I'm
3: good, thanks. I'm happy to be here.
0: (laughs) Is this your first time at uh, KZSU?
3: It is my first time on the
0: radio, yep. Wow. But you're familiar with our radio station here. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if you were expecting to ever be here discussing... Arabic topics, but I really wanted you to come and, uh, w- w- and first of all, talk maybe a little bit about your experience in the Arabic classroom, and then a little bit about your experience in North Africa. Sure. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so I think we should begin, first of all, by uh, welcoming you uh, a little bit in Arabic and giving you a chance to uh, <laughs> make your old instructor proud here oh, no. by having you kind of introduce yourself in Arabic to our listeners, and from there we'll talk a little bit about your background In the language of your choice. Great. Uh, So, uh, Sienna, you were born and raised where, and uh, and and how did you come to Stanford?
3: So, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a junior at Stanford. Um, and my whole the whole family of my mother is from California so I never had any other thought but to come west for college
0: Wow mm-hmm. and that explains why you don't have a Boston accent I guess <laughs> when you speak uh, uh, you know I was expecting you know the park the car I think
3: I think it's actually a common misconception there's only one small part of Boston that speaks that way and I'm actually from a suburb so oh really yeah because yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I know I mean, I'm not a person to speak about American accents right. I know I've got my <laughs> own accent there but uh, certainly you sounded like you you grew up in California but so you did That's not good you too. Grew up in, in, in Boston. I did, yeah. And uh, came to California just to go to college. Mm-hmm. Wow! And uh, so coming to Stanford uh, must have been an exciting experience. But then you chose Arabic I as did. your no, language. Now, right. what what were the motives behind that? It's not the easiest language in the world to choose.
3: No. um, I think in high school, I had a really small high school that didn't have a lot of resources for um, language classes. Mm -hmm. But in one of my history classes, I gave a presentation on Islam, and I became really interested in the culture of the region um, and obviously all of the political things that are going on. I'm an international relations major, so it sort of makes sense that way. Um, But also aesthetically, I think the calligraphy of Arabic is beautiful. Um, And I felt like if I was going to be qualified to speak about Politics or the Quran, then I should learn the language and speak from a more educated perspective.
0: Absolutely. And so, did you did you start Arabic at Stanford, or did you have any prior ex, uh, exposure to the language?
3: No, I started it my sophomore year at Stanford. Wow. So I'm now in my second wow. Year.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I'm a little bit surprised. I don't want to embarrass you, but because you <laughs> seem to have such a good command of the language when you speak uh, you. in class, that I thought perhaps you had, uh, you know, maybe grown up in an Arabic-speaking household or no, something I like wish. that. And uh, do you? Think that perhaps some of that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm going to call it mastery of the language. <laughs> do you think some of it had to do with your trip to North Africa? I do.
3: Yeah, I think a lot of the. Things that you don't learn in a formal classroom like the greetings and the the sort of expressions as well as a lot of the cultural meaning behind um, things that are said or done in Arabic countries came from my trip to Morocco.
0: To Morocco. And can Mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about that now? You decided to go to Morocco. Why, when, and how? (laughs) Sure.
3: So I wanted to study abroad and I felt like I couldn't learn a language unless I was really immersed in it, um, which has been my experience with other languages. And so I wanted to do that with Arabic and Stanford doesn't really offer um, a program like that in Arabic. Right. So I felt like going to some place in the Middle East would be good for that. And then the Arab Spring happened and all of my choices were limited on oh, where wow. my parents would let me go. Um, so I was sort of down to Jordan and Morocco. And I felt like Jordan was a little bit cliche. Everyone goes to Jordan. Um, uh, um, and I also think that <laughs> I think Morocco has some really interesting cultural things going on. Right. It's unique in that way that it has the French and the Spanish and the Berbers. Um, right, right. So there's a lot of different things going on that I thought were... So so this
0: was this was last year see uh, S- This S- was
3: this fall I was there for 4 months
0: Oh, so you were there for four months? Mm -hmm. Were were you studying there or just visiting? uh, I
3: studied. I was taking classes at um, Mohammed V University in Rabat, and then I lived with a host family in a suburb outside of Rabat.
0: Oh, wow. So you (laughs) actually lived with a Moroccan family. I did,
3: yeah. It was an interesting (laughs) experience.
0: Wow. And so you ended up sort of picking up maybe colloquial uh, dialects there. I mean, they speak a little bit of Berber with this Moroccan Mm -hmm. dialect, very different than the Fusha, the classical Arabic we speak in class. was really different. How, how, how comfortable are you, you know, uh, <laughs> speaking that dialect? I know I can't do it, and I'm a native Arabic speaker.
3: Uh, well, when I got there, um, the way I compare it to my friends and family who don't take Arabic is that I had taken sort of the equivalent of Latin at Stanford and then had to go and try and speak Spanish. It was just mutually not intelligible um, after having learned FUSHA. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it took me a little while to get used to it. There's a lot of French influence in it. Um but a lot of people also spoke English in my host family, so that was nice. But it did—it was a big—it was a big transition. And wow. then, of course, I come back and I did my diagnostic test with you, Ramzi, and I <laughs> was using um, Moroccan words without even realizing. Well, it, so. it
0: was—you know—I mean, it's not wrong. <laughs> it's still—you know—qualifies as Arabic, right? But certainly having you—and uh, that's something that Dr. Ava, my previous guest, was speaking about. You know, do you feel more comfortable starting with Modern Standard Arabic and then going to a dialect, Sienna, or do you think that it's just as easy to start? with a dialect and then go to modern cl- uh, hmm. standard Arabic.
3: I guess that's an interesting question. I think it was useful for me to start in a class on sort of formal Arabic because I learned how to read and write and that was really helpful when right. I didn't know what someone was talking about they could write it down or right. I could read street signs
0: Absolutely um,
3: So that definitely was a good place for me to start
0: So that's a really good answer because I think that's the school of thought that Dr. Ava was talking about you know instead mm-hmm. of starting someone with you because at least you can visualize the word you can have it written down Right Well I think we're we've kept our listeners in uh, suspense long enough <laughs> here because I know that you have a song that you've chosen to play today from North Africa Sure And uh and I'm not going to let you get away with, uh, without uh, actually uh, <laughs> saying something in Arabic, okay. both maybe in. I uh, I would in no, 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 there, were, there is no escape. <laughs> I know you see me in class every day and now in the wow. afternoons, Sayana. Uh, so thank you so much for coming in today. And the song that you chose is, uh, by, uh, uh, is it Chap Khaled?
3: Yes, Khaled, yes. um, and it's called Aisha, which I used to listen to with my my host family a lot really? now,
0: Aisha is of course mm-hmm. a popular first name for a right. girl and the song is in French and in Arabic mm-hmm. so do you, are you able to speak both or understand <laughs> both or? I
3: can speak about intermediate of both yeah
0: uh, both even mm-hmm. French
3: yeah, some French. Um, I could sing the chorus to the song pretty well, and then I would sort of be quiet and listen to everyone else well, good. sing it around me. And,
0: and so how, are you, do you think you would be able, now no pressure, just because oh, no. you're on the air and you're my student and everything hinges on this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, would you like to make a dedication to anybody, sure, yeah. um, uh, maybe in English or Arabic or both?
3: Sure. Um, I guess first I'd like to give a shout out to my family in Boston. Um, I think my parents were both a little wary of me taking Arabic, but they've both been really supportive. So hi to them. And hopefully they'll be listening I uh, think to they are. Well. I sent them the the radio station. Um, and then i also like to say salam uh, labas, <laughs> kushibakher, to my Moroccan family, the Shafik and um, Amor family in in Morocco, and I hope that they'll listen to the podcast.
0: Wow! And how about a, a, a dedication to your fellow students in <laughs> second-year Arabic this time in Fusha because you've covered <laughs> okay. English and you've covered colloquial.
3: Wa Assalamu <laughs> alaykum.
0: Mumtaza, That's amazing. And uh, and I was looking, she was not reading this. This, You did this spontaneously on the air. I did. Can't
3: believe it (laughs)
0: Sayana Chilton, you are an amazing example of an Arabic, of a student of Arabic here at Stanford, who within a short two years has been able to kind of grasp the language. I really don't know how to thank you enough for coming on the show today. Thank you so
3: much Uh, for having me.
0: and Thank you so much for coming in and being such a good sport. I know you see me every day like I said and for you to actually see me after hours uh, really is a, an honor for me. Shukran to you. Shukran. I'll, I'll even throw in a little French with and say merci. <laughs>
3: merci beaucoup.
0: Uh, and uh, I guess the, uh, how do Boston, Bostonians say thank you? It's the same, as in <laughs> I think, yeah,
3: I think it's all the I same. Think so.
0: I think we'll stick to shukran yeah. jazila. Shukran Alik. Uh, shukran Aliki. So here we go. We're going to end the show with uh, uh, the song Aisha by uh, Shab Khaled and reminding everybody to stay tuned at uh, 5 5 p.m. for AJ and The Fall of Math coming to you at 5 p.m. right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM I'm glad to be with you and we're going to play the song Aisha for you right here as a tribute from Sienna to the people she mentioned Sienna Shukran and uh, Ma salama.
3: Ma salama.
2: <laughs>
4: Comme si je n'existe Aisha, Aisha, I had to